Welcome to the Button to Christ Ministries podcast. Here you will find powerful messages from our ministry founder and president, Patrick Baker. You will also hear interviews and testimonies, all designed to encourage God's people to come higher in Christ Jesus and experience true power in Him. Join us every week on our prayer line every Tuesday and Friday morning at 5 a.m. and Tuesday and Friday nights at 7.30 and 9 p.m. respectively. All times are Eastern Standard Time. And now, without further ado, sit back and enjoy the Button to Christ Ministries podcast. just want to say happy Sabbath to you and to the rest of the BTC family around the world. And also want to let you know that we, my prayer partner and I, we prayed for you one day this week. So may God continue to be with you and hold you up with your children. And my song tonight is How Great Thou Art. Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands that made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe is then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forests glad I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lovely mountain gander and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God is Son not sparing, sent him to die, I scared can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, 
he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of accolation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Amen. Thank you, God bless. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister. Amen. Powerful song. How great thou art. Hallelujah. How great thou art. Thank you for that powerful song. And we give God praise. We give God praise. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And at this time, I am going to invite someone that you know very well and love very well. We all love him. We want to say happy Sabbath to Pastor Saul, who's going to give us the word tonight. We give God praise, and we just want to say welcome, Pastor Saul, and happy Sabbath. Thank you, my precious sister. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you, Pastor. Thank you, my precious sister, and uh, thank you for the warm welcome and the love and my my uh, love to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus with the love of God. That's the best love that we can share from our hearts that God shares to us and gives us. And so I want to thank you, and uh, we want to thank God for his amazing grace. Thank you to those who shared testimonies for those powerful prayers the messages and song. We are so grateful that our God is still alive and well. He sits upon the throne of this universe and nothing can happen in this world without his permission. And so we thank God that even though this pandemic is being prolonged and protracted, that God's hand is still upon this world and he's got the whole world in his hands and he's got you and I in his hands. If you believe it, would you say amen? We praise the Lord. And this evening, we just want to say with the psalmist David, Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be upon my lips. I cannot believe it's already the fourth month of 2021. I can't believe where this time is fleeting by so quickly. I am just thinking the year just started, but it's been a year and now plus since this pandemic was officially declared. And it continues. But here is the good news. 
that there is a limit to everything in this world. There's a limit to the planning of men and women, to the plans and to the agenda of those who seek to counter the agenda of God, the divine agenda. And so God knows the timing of all things. He knows the limits and at the right time, at the appointed time, at what we call the divinely appointed time, God is going to intervene on behalf of his children. But in the meanwhile, may we be found faithful. In the meanwhile, may God find us praising him. In the meanwhile, may God find us being a faithful witness and testimony of his grace, of his love, of his healing and saving power. May God be with us as we open his word this evening. The world, although in a very different way and in a different sense as gatherings and assemblies uh, are severely curtailed and restricted, the world still designates this particular period of time as what they call Easter, what the Jewish people call the Passover, and others refer to it in Christendom as the Passion. And so we know that we do not celebrate uh, typically like the world does. Um, and we understand, however, that it was during this particular period of time in the Jewish calendar, the fourth month, of course, where there was the Passover being celebrated and the Passover lamb. We knew that this was going to be the last Passover when Jesus walked on this earth. And that which was uh, typical would now become antitype. Type would meet antitype. And we now know that everything would be fulfilled in Christ. And no longer would we have to take and find an innocent, unblemished, and spotless lamb and sacrifice its blood representing the forgiveness, the shedding of blood representing the forgiveness and remission of sins. Once and for all, Jesus would pay that price. And so this evening, uh, it is so important, not just for this season, but often, frequently, every day, that we thank God for so great salvation. And so just for this weekend, particularly, I want to refocus again uh, on this such important subject, and sometimes we forget how important it is, that may we be blessed, as I'd like to speak to you on the subject, the cost, the cost. Let's have a word of prayer together as we open God's word. And so, loving Lord Jesus, just one more time we pause for prayer. We come into your presence not because we are worthy, but because Jesus, our Lord, alone is worthy. And as we come, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would silence every voice, that you will remove every distraction, and now you will be our main and supreme attraction. May we, O oh Lord, center our thoughts and focus on you. And whatever we're going through, help us to know that you've been there and that you are able and that your grace is sufficient for us. Now, we wait upon your word 
feed us with the bread of heaven. Quench our thirst with living water until we want no more. Our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story is told of the great artist and uh, gifted painter, Michelangelo. And many of you will remember him. He painted many great things. You know, in the Sistine Chapel, he painted many aspects of the Christian life. And one of the more popular paintings was on the life of Jesus. And perhaps one of the most poignant was the one that happened to be the most simple one. In actually, in the year uh, 1540, he actually sketched something called a Pieta. A Pieta was a representation or a picture of Jesus' mother holding the body of her dead son. And uh, he did it in chalk. And actually, the drawing uh, depicts Mary looking into the heavens as she cradles her son in his uh, lifeless form. Rising behind Mary in the depiction or painting, she's looking to the heavens, and as she's looking up, there's an upright beam of the cross that carries the following words from the famous poet Dante in his book Paradise. And Michelangelo sketched or etched these words in the painting, and it reads, There they do not think of how much blood it costs. There they do not think of how much blood it costs. Michelangelo's point was profound. When we contemplate the death of Jesus, you and I, and I'd like to say by extension, the whole world must consider the price he paid. When we think about purchasing some things in life, we often ask, how much? We ask, how much? We, you ladies, some of us, well, not just ladies, but men, but when we go into the store, I think men are probably more cheaper, and we look for the price tag, and we look for a discount. We look for that red tag to make sure the price got slashed 10 and 15 and 20 and 50%. And, of course, I'm sure some of you ladies do that too. You're good shoppers, always trying to find a good deal. And we're looking at the price tag. And there's a price tag for everything. There is a cost for everything in this life. But let's bring it closer to home. Let's bring it to our heart. Let's bring it to our salvation. What was the price tag for our salvation? What was the cost of our salvation is the question. Is there a price? Could there be a price affixed for our salvation? Well, I don't know about you, my brothers and sisters, my listening friends, but I believe that, yes, there was a cost, but I believe that cost was priceless. Oh, you didn't see, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I don't think that there could be any price tag on the cost that Jesus, my Jesus, your Jesus paid 
for you and I and for the entire world. I believe that that cost was actually priceless. There is nothing more valuable. There is no other life more valuable, no other life, although every life is worth it and every life is inestimable uh, to God. Every life, because you and I, to God, are inestimable. And that's the reason why he died for you and I and this whole world. His sacrifice came at a great cost. His sacrifice came at an inestimable price. Inestimable means that we cannot affix a value, a figure, or a price tag on the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you following me this evening? Take a few moments to ponder. Take a few moments to consider this with me. I just want you to allow this to sink in, my dear sisters and my brothers. Please take a moment to know why this is so important. Now, let's go to the word of the living God. Let's journey to the word of God. Will you open your Bible to the gospel of John? The gospel of John, and we're going to look at just five verses. The gospel of John chapter 19. Let's hear what the record of God says. Here is the record, the living record of God's word, God's word, God's message, God's love letter for humanity, God's love letter for humankind, God's love letter to the world. So all may read, I know that God is love. Let's read it together, John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and I would like to read for you from verses 25 and onward. I read for you uh, in the New King James Version, but I also have the Amplified Version, but I'll start from verse uh, 25. The Bible says, But by the cross, but by the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So by the cross stood Jesus, stood his mother, and then it says, his mother's sister, Mary, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So it just seems here that we had a few Marys here. Verse 26 says, So Jesus, seeing his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing there, said to his mother, Woman, and in the Amplified it says, Dear woman, see here is your son. Verse 27 says, then he said to the disciples, See, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own keeping, his own home. In other words, Jesus, in his dying pain, in his agony and anguish, finds time to take care of his earthly mother. Isn't that beautiful? 
that's a beautiful story. And we could spend some time on that, but I want to get to the crux of the matter. I want to get to the point I want to make. But it shows that Jesus, how much he loves not only the whole world, but he loved his mother. A mother who was chosen by God as an instrument to be the one that would give birth to the Savior of the world. Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to the beloved disciple John. Even in his pain, even in his, even in his worst experience, the agony and anguish, he still finds time to take off his mother. And then it comes to verse 28, which now we get to the crux of the matter, and it says here, Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he ended, ended, said in fulfillment of the scripture, I thirst. Now, can you only imagine that crucifixion was the most humiliating and the most excruciating form of capital punishment? It would allow and expose its victim and perpetrator and criminal, as it were. Jesus was no crim criminal, but uh, he became a victim because of our sins, but he was no criminal. But the crucifixion on the cross was the worst form of capital punishment. First of all, there was the social stigma that was attached, where you were scantily clothed, you were exposed to the public's eye to to society to see that you were some, you know, malefactor, some one who was despised and banished and someone who was rejected and an outcast. And so Jesus shared the same fate with those two other thieves, those other criminals on the cross, but he didn't deserve to be there. Then that way you hang on the cross and you quickly begin to dehydrate as the, the Middle Eastern scorching sun beats upon your brow and your body, it begins to dehydrate and you begin to perspire and you lose water rapidly. And then it, then it induces thirst. And so no wonder in his humanity, Jesus cries out, I thirst. Now, the least they could have done was given him some refreshing, cool water from a well, something to quench a man's dying thirst. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says that in verse 29, a vessel or jar full of foul wine, which was translated to be vinegar, was placed there. And they put a sponge soaked in the sour wine on a stalk or reed of hyssop and held it to his mouth. Now, they're giving Jesus sour wine vinegar. You know what we use vinegar, vinegar for? Of course, you know, you got white vinegar that's used uh, to sometimes disinfect. It's acetic acid. It's acidic. You put that on someone who has been beaten, who has been lacerated, and, and, and the vinegar is dripping on their skin. You can imagine how that is going to burn and and hurt them. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna fizz up on their open wounds with the blood. And so that instead of instead of quenching his thirst, it is increasing his pain. 
his discomfort. Can you imagine with me talking about the cause? I'm talking about this evening so great salvation. I'm talking about the price. I'm telling you that the cause of Jesus' life was priceless for you and I. But let me share something with you interesting. I was doing some research, and I came across something interesting. You know, hyssop was used throughout the Bible times, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is interesting that the hyssop actually represents something unique in the Bible. In fact, hyssop represents uh, the freedom uh, of, of forgiveness. In fact, let me just go back here. The hyssop actually points to the substitutionary and atoning death of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because this is what the hyssop represents. Let me read it for you. It's actually found in the Old Testament. Um, it was used in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. The hyssop was first used at, it was used in the first Passover. Understand something now. Hyssop was used in Exodus 12, verse 22, was used in the first Passover to spread the blood around the doorframe. Do you remember the first Passover? Where was that? Remember, it was in Egypt when the death angel would be passing over. But Moses, through God, it was, was inspired by God to instruct Israel that if they were to put uh, the shed blood of an innocent lamb and they smeared the blood over the doorpost or the lintel of the door, the death angel would pass over and they would be covered by the blood. So what they used was the, the hyssop branch, the stock, because it was able to absorb and it was long enough and strong enough and sturdy enough so they would put the blood on the hyssop and the hyssop would smear the blood. When it was dipped in blood, they would smear it over the, the blood over their door frame. Then we find in Leviticus chapter 14, chapter 14, 4 to 7, it says that the hyssop and the blood are used in the ceremonial cleansing of the leper. And then finally, in Numbers chapter 19, verse 1, it says that the hyssop was used for cleansing someone who has touched a dead body. So are you seeing the picture now? My brothers and sisters, my sisters and brothers, my friends, I, I, I was fascinated to discover the important symbolism used by hyssop. Why would they use hyssop on Jesus now? They didn't use it maybe on someone, but they used it on Jesus. This is what is reported and recorded in Scripture. And it's so amazing, that interesting parallel. God's Word is sweet. God, God's Word is powerful. There is no mistake. Everything is written with intentionality and precision, guided by the Holy Spirit. And so, Hyssop was used at the past first Passover, and guess what now? Hyssop is used for the last Passover, because after Jesus' death, there would be no more Passover to be celebrated. Only in, in of course, remembrance. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we don't use the same ceremonial and rituals that they used then. So at the first Passover it was used, and now it's being used again on Jesus as the last Passover Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Somebody ought to say amen. Praise be to God. 
hyssop now represents cleansing. It represents uh, the, the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And it is amazing that as he's as dying on the cross, the hyssop is now used, a powerful spiritual symbolism that John records in his gospel. Very unique, because John is familiar, and some of the other Bible writers are familiar with the Old Testament. And now John brings it to our attention, gives us a close-up view, a deeper insight, and uh, inroads into the sacrifice and the death of Jesus. So now Jesus has the hyssop smeared on him. But more than it, it didn't quench his thirst, but it represented his great atoning sacrifice, the atonement on the cross of Calvary. Now, in order to finish it off or to complete it, here it is. Here's the word that's taken out of my mouth. In the next verse, it says, so when Jesus uh, had received, in verse 30, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. The price paid by Jesus is captured in his dying declaration. It is finished. Are you with me? Are you with me, my sisters and brothers, as we wrap this up? Are you hearing me out there? In fact, I got to take you back to, to John chapter 17, verse 4, just two chapters uh, before this chapter. John 17, verse 4, Jesus as a prelude to the crucifixion. This is what Jesus says in John 17, verse 4. Can I read it for you? The Bible says in John 17, verse 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. It says, I love it, I love it, I love it. It says here, I have glorified you on the earth. Oh, come on now. You're not hearing what I'm saying. This is Jesus when he's praying and he's talking to his heavenly father, his father, our father. He says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Somebody ought to say amen. Glory to the Lamb of God. Even just before his crucifixion, he, he is a precursor. Almost he's, he's prefacing his, his words that he was going to use again at the cross. He says, I have finished the work you have given me to do. Jesus was faithful to the very end. And now I'm in verse 30 of chapter 19 of John. He says, it is finished. It is finished. He bows his head and gives up the spirit, the breath of life. You know the terms for it is finished. I did a little research and I went back to the original language in the Greek. And the word it is finished, finished comes from the Greek word pepe lestai. It actually means uh, several things, and all these several things have uh, meaning as it applies to the atonement of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a powerful word, finished. So, petrolestai, it means many things. It means to show that a bill has been paid in full. Okay, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Let me repeat that again. It has a few uh, interpretations, and they all... They all actually apply 
to what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross. The first one, it says it means that a shows of bill has been paid in full. Number two, it means that a task has a task has been completely finished. Number three, it means a sacrifice has been offered. And number four, just like Michelangelo's work, number four, it means a masterpiece has been completed. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. Somebody's not seeing what I'm saying here today. Let me tell, let me can I talk to somebody here today. Our bill has been paid. Jesus' atoning sacrifice is complete. He paid the price that we ought to pay with our lives. He exchanges for his life so that we can have life everlasting. And finally, crowning act, the masterpiece was on the cross. Somebody said, these are the three words that changed the human It is finished. Human history, human survival, hinges on the cross of Calvary. This is our message, the message of the cross. If it wasn't for the cross, you and I and the whole world would have no hope. When Jesus declared it is finished, that's why it means everything to us, what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's why Paul wrote that I may never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. Jesus took our place. And this is the everlasting sign and the eternal evidence of how much God loves you and I and this whole world. He paid a price because we owed a debt that we can never repay. He paid a price that we owed a debt we can never repay. Think about his great salvation. When Jesus declared it is finished, what is finished? Well, I'm so glad you asked, my sisters and brothers. I'm so glad you asked. It is finished. What is finished? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It is finished. No more. No more pain. And no more problems. No more tears. No more fears. And no more cares. It is finished. No more sickness. And no more sadness. It is finished. No more hospitals. And no more funeral pains. It is finished. No more COVID-19 and no more pandemic. It is finished. No more disease and no more death. It is finished. Jesus finished. God completed work. It is finished meant that it all came together. Jesus' work for our salvation was full and final. And if we place our lives in, in, in his hands, if we claim so great salvation, no matter what we're going through, Jesus is able to help us to take care, to deliver, to restore, to heal, and to keep us from falling. Because this is finished. So what's the cost? You and I can never imagine the great cost because it was priceless. And this is the message that the world needs to come to hear. And what Jesus did for us on the cross is the message 
that will save this world, and it will save you and I. It is finished. God wants to declare it is finished in your life. He wants to do a complete work in your life. He wants to make a masterpiece of your life. Just because of the cross, you and I have hope for today, but hope for tomorrow. Except the songwriter, I leave these words with you. Except the songwriter, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor content in all my pride. I pray today that we will rediscover the message and the meaning of the cross. May God declare whatever you're going through, whatever problem, whatever difficulty, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, he's still got the power to declare in your life. It is finished in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bun to Christ Ministries podcast. We hope that you were blessed. Feel free to visit our website at buntochrist.com for more content and information. Also, feel free to contact us at buntochrist70 at gmail.com with your prayer requests or any questions you may have. May God richly bless you, and we'll see you next time.